not had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Isaac, and I'm one of the pastors here at the table. And as our favorite young adult lead pastor, Doug, said earlier, we are in a series called Seasons, right? And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about different seasons that we may, grow, that we may be in, whether you may be in a season of preparation, you may be in a season of growth, you may be in a season of pruning, right? So he brought up that pruning branch, and I'm having to like go through the forest up here with all the leaves uh, right now. Uh, today, we're talking about harvest. But to help us understand harvest, you got to know something about me. I am highly, highly competitive. Highly competitive. Like very com- I took a strengths finders a few months ago, and competition was my number one strength on the strengths finders test. Any other competitive people in the room? Okay. So in the competition for who could get their hand up fastest, I think it was like back here. So you won. Just letting you know, you won the competition. There you go. <laughs> So I'm highly competitive, and I think that this, my competitive nature started from a really young age. So I grew up playing a lot of sports, um, I just, all different types of sports, and here's what happened in the first organized sport that I played was t-ball. And my six-year-old Isaac, he was on a t-ball team that won the championship, right? I was the all-star second baseman on this t-ball team that won the championship. So for the very first organized sport that I played, my team won. So I thought that was a lot of fun because then we had this amazing swimming party. We got not only like participation trophies because we're good millennials, but we also got like a championship trophy. So I thought like this is the best thing ever. So I thought that fun equaled winning. And for the rest of my time playing sports or being in competitions, that's what I thought. If I did not win, I did not have fun, right? It was the same thing for me. So I realized, though, that this was a thing as I played different sports, I did different competitions and academics. I was just very, very competitive. So I got to college, and there was a sport in college that was widespread throughout the entire campus. Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Dodgeball was the most popular sport on campus. Everybody played dodgeball. And what I realized was I was very, very good at dodgeball. From, from my baseball upbringing, I could throw pretty accurately. I could throw pretty hard. And I understood that I was pretty, I had these really like swifty maneuvers to get out of the way whenever the, the ball was coming at me, right? Because I could dodge, I could dump, I could dip, I could dive, and I could dodge, right? I was really good at dodgeball. So at my church, uh, my freshman year, when I got to college, my church hosted a dodgeball tournament. And actually, we have a photo. This is my very first dodgeball team um, that I played in uh, when I was in college, right here. So this is my, my life group, my freshman life group. You'll, you'll want to see 18, uh, 19-year-old freshman Isaac in college. There he is on the bottom right. So with my face painted, wearing all black. So as you can see, my life group, bless our hearts, um, the guys were not the most athletic, Right? And the girls weren't, weren't either. We didn't have a very athletic team. But here we are about to participate in this dodgeball tournament. But here's what I thought. I thought, man, I'm so good at dodgeball. It doesn't matter how good my team is. We'll just win anyway. Right? So, so we play our first game, and we're all out, including me, in 45 seconds. We're all out. We, we got out. We lost. And for me, that was not fun. Why? Because winning was fun, and we didn't win. We did terribly. We didn't even get 45 seconds out of our first game. So for the next 12 months, I plan on how to dominate this dodgeball tournament. Let me show you this next photo. This is my second dodgeball team. This is my sophomore year in college, right? 
So my, here's what happened in the next 12 months. For the next 12 months, I thought, how can I meet people to recruit them to be part of my dodgeball team so I can go win my church dodgeball tournament? So these are not just any guys. I actually had joined a fraternity, and these are my frater- some of my fraternity brothers. Some of the ice was very selective and only asking the most athletic, the baseball players, right? The guys that could maneuver, the guys that could throw really hard. So with this dodgeball, t- oh, quick side note, oh, you see the costumes going on here? So it was like a costume dodgeball tournament. So um, I thought it would be fun to be the villains. So, but it was a church dodgeball tournament. So who are the villains of the Bible? The Pharisees. So we are, we are, fa- <laughs> so our team name, our team name was the Brood of Vipers. And as you can see, we're in uh, kind, of, uh, kind of Old Testament or New Testament Pharisaic clothing a little bit. You know, we're, we're keepers of the law, so we're holding the Old Testament, right? Numbers 1 through 10. So that's what's going on there in that photo. And in the church dodgeball tournament my sophomore year, we dominate. We beat everybody. It wasn't even close. We, we slaughtered. We just ran through that entire tournament and won. But here's what happened in one of the games in our tournament. So in one of the, the dodgeball tournament games, uh, so we're there, and as you can see, we're all pretty, pretty athletic guys, and we're playing this life group, this all-girls life group. And we got all of them out, almost all of them out, pretty quickly, minus two very elusive ladies. <laughs> so they're there, and they're, we, just, we just can't get them out until one of the girls, she trips, and she falls down on the floor. So here I am. Here I am, we're going there. Here I am with the dodgeball, right? And whenever I saw her, this is what I thought. She needs to be out. She's not out yet. So with everything in my being, as hard as I could, I take this dodgeball and I throw it as hard as I can at this girl and I hit her and she was out. Right? And as I say that, a lot of you can already tell, we're like, oh my gosh, how could you do such a thing? But you competitive people, you're like, I get it, she wasn't out yet. <laughs> so so here, here's what, here was my thought process. Here's my thought process. Whenever I looked at this girl, here's what, what filled me, right? Here's what I thought. Because I, what filled me was competition. What filled me was winning. So when I looked at her, I thought, she is in my way to winning. So what I need to do is I need to get her out. Right? So what filled me was this, this rage, this competition, this, and then I, what moved in my soul then came out in order for me to throw the dodgeball as hard as I could to get her out. So my suspicion, though, is that although you may not be a jerk like me and pelt this poor girl with a dodgeball, I think that as we look at people, we can see that there's a lot of different things that may move within us. Right? So maybe, maybe the people at work right? As you look at them, there's something moving within you, right? As you look at your family members, as you're looking at your friends, there's something that's moving within you. As you're scrolling through Instagram, right? And you just see somebody got engaged, but that was the rebound, but they got engaged anyway, right? You see, you feel something moving within you, right? As you see somebody else posting another workout pic, and you're like, ah, oh, man, look a little thirsty. You see something moving within you, right? As you see people hanging out without you, you feel something moving within you. As you're in traffic, no, no, no. As you're in traffic on I-4, no, no. As you're in traffic on I-4 in between Universal and Disney near I-Drive, <laughs> you feel something moving within you. So here's my question is when you look at people, what moves in you? When you look at people, what moves in you? 
And my suspicion that for all of us in this room, for me, for me it was competition, right? I noticed that this, this competitive nature, it, did, it wasn't just with sports and wasn't just at this dodgeball tournament. I was at a family reunion one time, and a younger cousin was there, and we were all there playing a card game, and we we're just all, quote-unquote, trying to have fun, but I viewed this younger cousin as getting in my way to win, so whenever he, this person got out, right, I was like, you're out, you can't get back in. Right? This competitive nature, is, it's deep, deep within me. As we look at people, as when you look at people, what moves in you. Right? So I think, though, there's something that can actually help kind of bring this all together. As all of us are coming from a lot of different places, my suspicion is what moves in us as we look at people is kind of different depending on our circumstance, depending on who we are, kind of depending on our experience. But I think there's something that can actually unify us. And his name is Jesus. Because I want, I want us to see, as Jesus looked at people, what moved in him. And my suspicion is what moved in Jesus as he looked at people is often very different than what moves in us as we look at people. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, it's, it'll be on the screens here. We're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. And we'll see where the gospel author Matthew writes what Jesus, how Jesus looked at people and what moved in Jesus as he looked at people. Matthew chapter 9. And it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So I want us to notice here the kingdom of God, right? The gospel of of the kingdom. And I thought that Jackson did such a beautiful job earlier. Here's the big idea of the gospel of the kingdom is that we were all made whole, this world was made whole, and then it was broken. And I think every single person in this room can see feel the brokenness that's now in the world, right? If you're a lot some of my friends I was t- talking to earlier are feeling sick, some of you just had a really bad day, some of you have really broken relationships, you just notice there's something broken within us. So this brokenness that we feel, Jesus in the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus as king is trying to come in to establish wholeness and restoration and redemption in this world. So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going everywhere and he's saying, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be broken. Trust me, follow me, and I want to bring healing and I want to bring restoration into your life. So he's going everywhere proclaiming this message, this gospel of the kingdom. Right? So then we get to verse 36. And when he, this is Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, Okay, I think we remember, when you, when I, look at people, what moves within us? Well, let's see, when Jesus saw people, let's see what moved in him. So when he saw the crowds, right? For me, it was, it was competition. Let's see what's going on here. What did Jesus do when he saw the crowds? He had compassion for them. Jesus had compassion. Why did Jesus have compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So this word compassion, right, this word compassion, so we, we have it here. Um, this, this word compassion is very interesting uh, because it doesn't, we don't actually have a really good, easy translation into English. Uh, for a lot of Greek words or some Greek words, there's a really easy translation for us to understand. But for this word in the Greek, there's not an easy translation. But the best way for us to understand it, the way that the, the, the gospel authors and the New Testament writers in Greek, whenever they wrote this word compassion, right, I want us to think about something that just like 
fills you up and moves deep, deep, deep inside of you. Think of it like, in the, uh, the word compassion, it really is like um, deep in your bowels, right? Deep within you, like in your intestines, in your bowels. And there's, there's this movement that's happening deep in your bowels. So I had this really bad Taco Bell incident one time. I'm just, I'm not going there. But where you thought I was going, that's what compassion is. Compassion is this deep movement inside, in, deep inside you, inside of your bowels. You just feel it rumbling, and it just has to come out, all right? So this, is, this idea of compassion is moving with compassion, right? So this compassion, it, it fills us up. It moves within us, and then we are moved. It causes us to respond, right? When you eat bad Taco Bell, it forces you to respond. So this idea of compassion... <laughs> This idea of compassion, it is moving, moving deep, deep within us. <laughs> All right, five-second laugh break. Go ahead. <laughs> we good? We good? This compassion is something that's moving deep within us that causes, that forces a response, right? This word compassion, a better way to think about it, is being moved with compassion, So when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved, he had compassion, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here is the big idea. When you see as God sees, you will do as God does. When you see as God sees, you will do as God does. So Jesus Jesus saw the crowd, and what did he do? He was moved with compassion. Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. When we see as God sees, we will do as God does. But a lot of times we don't see as God sees. And because of that, we don't do what God does. So what do we see? We don't see people that are with compassion. For me, can I just be honest? A lot of the times I see people with judgment. I see people with condemnation. I think, hey, I'm here and I've arrived at this certain point and anybody who is not operating the way that I think they should be operating, I judge them and I condemn them. And do you notice that word should? People, that whenever we tend to judge people, we will use that word should all the time. As some would say, we should on people, right? We tell people what they should do. You should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this. We're not moved with compassion. We're moved with judgment and condemnation, right? We're moved to people, and then we don't want to, like, lean in and love them. We want to keep them away and judge them. So Jesus, as he's moved with compassion, for a lot of times, we want to stay far, 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 far away in judgment. But as we see, as God sees, we will do as God does. As we see as God sees, we will do as God does. All right? So how many people do you think see as God sees and do as he does? How many people? Let's, let's, look, at, let's look at the next verse. He gives us an exact answer where he says, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So how many people see as God sees and do as God does? Very few. Very few. For a lot of us in this room, very few of us are seeing as God sees in order to do as he does. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? So what is this harvest? Right? So we're talking about harvest. What is harvest? It said earlier in the passage that the people were were sheep 
without a shepherd. They were helpless and they were harassed. And then Jesus starts talking about harvest. So this idea of harvest, this is lost sheep. These are helpless people. These are people that are lost, people without guidance, people that have no direction. So instead of judging people that are lost, Jesus moves in compassion. So as we see, as God sees, we can move in compassion toward people that are lost, right? Our aim is to guide these lost sheep to the shepherd. That's all we're doing. And that's what, that's what laborers is, right? So the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of lost sheep here. There's a lot of people that are lost. There's a lot of people that are trying to find life. There's a lot of people that are trying to find something that will satisfy them. And they try and they can't find satisfaction. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've, been, you've tried one thing and there was no satisfaction. You've tried something else and there was no satisfaction. You tried something else and there was no satisfaction. You're lost and you're aimless. And it wasn't until maybe um, somebody told you about the great shepherd and Jesus Christ, or maybe recently that you came to the table, that you finally found answers to some of the stuff that you were looking for, this is lost sheep, people that are lost without a shepherd, right? So because of that, there are few laborers. A laborer is someone who is leading lost sheep to the shepherd. That's a laborer, somebody who is leading lost sheep to the shepherd. So the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of sheep. But the laborers, there's, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. All right? So we're asking, so how do you know if you're in a harvest season? We, previously, we've talked about pruning. We've talked about growth. We've talked about preparation and soil. So for those of us that are in a harvest season, how do we know? When you see a lost sheep with compassion. That's how you know you're in a harvest season. When you see lost sheep, people that are aimless, people that are trying to find direction, don't even know that there's this idea of a shepherd at all, and we're moved with compassion to point them and help them be part of the great shepherd's flock, right? I think we know this psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that as sheep, when we're part of the great flock of Jesus, we have no want anymore. We don't lack anymore. Jesus guides us by still waters. We can have comfort and we can rest in who Jesus is. So the role of the laborer is to guide the sheep to the shepherd. And you know that as you're guiding sheep to the shepherd and you don't judge sheep and you don't condemn sheep, but move with compassion toward the sheep, you're in a season of harvest. That's what harvest is. Harvest is not things, right? Maybe you grew up in a church culture where they would preach, we want it's, it's harvest time, it's praying for harvest, praying for harvest, right? And the harvest equated with riches and success and jobs and relationship. Friends, that's not harvest. Whatever you may be heard before in the past on what harvest is, this is harvest. Harvest is whenever you, like Jesus, as you see, as God sees, you will do as he does. And as Jesus does, he is filled with compassion and moves toward people. And as you do that, you are in a season of harvest. Whenever you look at people with compassion to guide them to the great shepherd of Jesus Christ. So you know you're in a harvest season whenever you see lost sheep with compassion. So we look at verse 38 where he says, therefore, right? So what's the therefore, therefore, right? So therefore, so if we know that the harvest is plentiful, and if we know that, but the laborers are few, right? There's a lot of lost sheep. There's only very few people that are guiding lost sheep to the shepherd, if we know that to be true. If we know that there's lots of sheep all around us, right? But there's not a lot of people that are trying to help guide people with compassion toward, uh, toward Jesus. So therefore... 
What does Jesus tell us to do? He says this, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's look at what God does. Let's look at what Jesus does or what Jesus is telling us to do. As we see, as God sees, we will do as he does. So what does God do? He does two things. Pray for laborers and a sense out. Whenever you see, as God sees, to do as he does, right? God's telling us to pray for laborers and be sent out. But I think if you grew up in church at all, maybe you even just went to church a few times a year, maybe Christmas and Easter, if you've accidentally like sniffed a church accidentally, you came here, I don't know what this is, but oh, is this church? Oh, no. You know this. Church people say this all the time. You got to pray and you got to go make disciples, right? For those of us that know anything about church culture, those are almost the two main things, right? Pray and be sent out. Go make disciples. We've all heard this. But here's the difference when you're in a season of harvest versus when you're not. Praying for laborers and being sent out is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. That's the difference. When you know, you know you're in a season of harvest, whenever you think of praying, not as like, oh, I should be doing that more. Oh, I should. And somebody's telling you, you should be praying more. Oh, yeah, you should be going out and making disciples. And instead of something that excites you, it's something where you feel condemned and defeated because you're not doing that. And then you feel guilty because you're not doing that. That's the biggest difference as we pray for laborers and we're sent out. It's a, it moves from something that we have to do to something that we get to do. So I want us to look at, so what are some helpful examples that we can think through? And my aim is to help you figure out if, if um, being in harvest season, if praying and if being sent out and making disciples, if you feel like it's something that you have to do or it's something that you get to do. So we have a nifty chart here on the, here on the slides here to help us understand what's the difference. What's the difference? Um, what's the difference from have to and get to? So let's take prayer. Praying. Whenever you have to pray, here's what happens. You don't pray. <laughs> you don't. And people say, hey, can you pray for me? And like, ah, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for your sister. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, I'm sick. Can you pray for me? Um, so there's a, a pretty active group chat, a prayer going on, and people all the time will po- post their prayer requests. And people a lot of times will oh, yeah, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Hey, we pray for me. Yeah, I'm praying for you. And then what happens? We don't pray. We don't. We say we will, maybe we do, or maybe we do a quick prayer, or maybe as part of our, our quiet times, you know, we sit there and we're like, oh my gosh, I told them that I would pray for them. Now I have to pray for them. So it's not something, so for have to, we either don't pray or we just feel guilty about it or feel condemned about it because we're not praying enough, right? If you ever feel condemned or defeated because you don't feel like you're praying enough, that enough word is very dangerous, That enough word is going to keep you down. That enough word is going to feel like you're condemned. God is not telling you you're not doing enough. God would never say that to you. So if you ever feel like you're not praying enough, I'm not doing enough, that doesn't, God doesn't say that. You know what God says? You are my child and you are lavishly loved no matter what you do. That's what God says. So whenever you feel this guilt and condemnation, whether it comes to prayer, when it comes to reading your Bible, when it comes to going to church, whatever you may feel like you're not doing enough, Jesus already did enough for you. There's nothing you have to do in order to have right standing before God. So whenever we think through prayer, though, we always think, oh, if somebody were to ask you, hey, are you praying about that? Your response may be, oh, yeah, I'm not praying enough. And that leads to guilt and condemnation or just we just don't do it. But here's what happens whenever you get to pray. 
Here's what happens. You do what I call shower praying. What is shower praying? We all know the shower. It's one where we have our best voices, is it not? But it's also where we have our best thoughts. We have inspirations. I don't know what it is, but we have our best thoughts and inspirations. And when somebody comes into our mind, we pray for them. Praying is not something we have to do. Praying is something we get to do. And it's not just limited to the shower. It's driving. It's walking somewhere. It's just this idea of praying for people, praying for a friend, just always on our hearts. And it's not something that condemns us, that we feel like we have to do. We feel guilty if we're not. It's something that we get to do. Whenever we get to pray, we're going to pray all the time, whenever we think about it. And we're not going to feel guilty that we're not, because we are, Right? So whenever we get to pray, I mean, we're just, we're just praying everywhere. And this is what the scripture says when it says pray without ceasing, right? It's saying that, hey, like, as things come to your mind, ask God for help. Ask God to, to help people. So for me, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, as I'm just living my life and they come into my mind, it's cool because I could, oh, man, I'm praying for them. God, I don't know where this person is right now. I don't know where my friend is right now, God. But I pray that they can just feel your presence. I have no idea what they're doing right now. Man, God, I pray that you just fill them up. I pray that you comfort them. God, I pray that you just guide them. I don't know if they have a big decision today. I don't know if they're feeling bad today. But God, I just pray that you be with them and help them point to you. God, if you can just encourage my friend right now. And then, because it's, you leave the shower because it would be dangerous to text there, you get out of the shower, clean off, and then you text your friend. And you say, hey, I was praying for you. I love you. You doing okay? This is such a different response from feeling like we have to pray for people versus what happens whenever we get to pray for people. This is a major difference. What about, what about being sent out? This idea of making disciples, this idea of being moved with compassion, going to make disciples. Here's what happens when you feel like you have to. People are annoying. People are frustrating. People give you fear and anxiety. Right? So whenever you feel like you have to be sent out, when you have to go be with people, when you have to go make disciples, when you have to go into the harvest, you don't view people with compassion. People, you get angry with people, like you're trying to meet with them, right? And here's, here's the thing that you know, you may be unaware that you're in a harvest season, and I want to try to raise, raise some awareness, because people are just always reaching out to you. Right? If you've gone through getting your soil ready, if you've gone through growth, if you've gone through pruning, and you've gone through all of that with open hands, my suspicion is that you may be unaware that you're in a harvest season. And so because you're in a harvest season because people are reaching out to you to hang out, and you don't have enough time. And as you are meeting with people, then you're just getting really frustrated because you're not, they're not where you want them to be. Or you're getting really, oh, oh well, these people are reaching out now, but are they going to continually reach out to me? And just, oh, there's a lot of fear with that, right? Or we just get really angry with people, or we get really annoyed. <laughs> Look, when you're in harvest season and you see people with compassion, right, you're not annoyed with people. You know that's your mission field. People don't annoy you. Right? But, it, but that's what happens is the change in perspective from something that we have to do to something that we get to do. Whenever you have to be sent out, it's the last thing you want to do. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, right? I'd rather, did you know Disney Plus came out today? I would rather be at home binge watching all my DCOMs, right? That's what, and the thought of like having to answer a text message or the thought of having to meet with somebody or the thought of coming to the table or the thought of going to life group, it's exhausting. And we feel like it's something that we have to do, right? It's the last thing we want to do. But here is what happens whenever you get to be sent out. Here's what happens. It's the only thing you want to do. 
It's the only thing you want to do. Whenever you're in harvest season, whenever you see as God sees, to do as he does, you move from something that you have to do to something that you get to do. Doing ministry is the only thing you want to do. And maybe you've experienced this, right? I know for some of us in this room, you've had this light bulb moment as you've been plugged into our culture, as, a, as you've been having one-on-ones, as you've been encouraging people, as you've been meeting with people, a switch happened in you from have to to get to, and what happened? It was the ministry switch. And when the ministry switch happened, your first thought may be, I need to work for a church. Maybe or maybe not, and honestly, most of us are not going to work for a church. Most of us are not going to kind of get our our income, not going to be vocational ministry. But here's the thing, when you're in harvest season, you're always in ministry. You are always in ministry and receiving, working for, quote-unquote, working for a church, that's not a good fit for a lot of us, right? We would be so much more joy doing something else. But even as you're working in your career, you're working in the corporate world, you're working at the parks, you're working in whatever industry that you're in, the medical industry, the tech industry, when you're living a life of ministry, you're in ministry, no matter what. That's what happens whenever we go from uh, have to to get Two, right? And here's how you notice two. You start organizing your entire life around harvest. You start orienting your entire life around helping people that are lost find Jesus. And here's how you know. You start changing your calendar in a way you never thought you would. You start clearing your calendar to start making time to meet with people. You start clearing your calendar to consistently go to life group to receive that care and support that you need. You start clearing your calendar to start going to church four times a week. You never thought you would be at church four times a week, and here you are. You're at church four times a week. You never thought you would be here, but what happened? Something happened within you that moved from have to to get to, right? You start giving more than you ever thought you would. You start tithing. You start giving your money. You never thought, you thought the church was dirty. You thought the church was like out, just like this huge, like pyramid laundering scheme. And here you are now. Jesus found you because somebody told you about him. Jesus found you. You are following him. And now like, wow, I want to give a lot of my income to the church and help people with the gospel. That's what you think now. That's what happens when you move from have to to get to, right? Your heart breaks for the city of Orlando, Your heart breaks in a way that you never thought it would break before. People that you never cared about, you start caring about. People that just used to annoy you now don't annoy you quite as much. That's what happens when we see as God sees and we do as God does and we're moved with compassion. That's what happens. Here's the thing, too, about harvest season. This is very interesting. A lot of times we're praying for harvest season because we think harvest is going to be awesome. We're just going to get to coast and we're finally get to rest. We've worked so hard in preparation, getting the soil ready. We've worked so hard in growth and it's been awkward. We've worked so hard in pruning and it's painful. And we get to harvest and we want to reap all of our benefits. Do we have any farmers in the room? When do you work the most? In harvest season. That's when you're getting up the earliest. That's when you're going to bed the latest. Harvest season is the most work, and it is the most joy-filled work that you will ever experience. When you're in harvest season, work of ministry is not exhausting. It's life-giving. It's joy-filled. That's the switch that happens whenever you view, see as Jesus sees, to do as Jesus does, moving from have to to get to. 
So we had this really cool thing happen. We had a, uh, a missional community dinner uh, for our young professional singles. So we have these things called missional communities. Missional communities are um, pockets of people, collections of people um, that gather together, are in life groups together, have dinners together, and serve together in the city. So a few months ago, we had a missional community dinner, a family dinner as we call them, for our young professional singles missional community. And here's what happened. Is at the, we have a photo here. At the young professional singles missional community, at the family dinner, there was um, some of us, here's a gr- group shot. Here's what happened. We collected over 1,000 diapers to give to the pregnancy center. Right? So I had, I, had, I had no idea. We have this amazing thing that's part of First Orlando called the Center for Pregnancy. I had no idea this existed until a few months ago. And I met, I met with the director, Carmen, and she is amazing. She is like Jesus. She loves people. She has compassion for people. She speaks the truth gently, Right? So Carmen's amazing. She leads the this, this, this Center for Pregnancy. So meeting with Carmen, I felt so inspired. So I, I talked with our team. I talked to some of the people as part of our missional community. Um, I, we, there was about 20 of us that went to go meet with Carmen, the director of the Center for Pregnancy. And she inspired us and told us how much harvest there is at the Center for Pregnancy, how much sheep that are trying to find Jesus, how much healing that can take place. So collectively, at, for our missional community, we went and we're like, we need to do something. We had to do something here. So what happened? There was a switch that happened from we have to do something to we get to do something. So we did this diaper party. We collected over 1,000 diapers. Um, We sent it out. We have people that are still in the process of signing up to volunteer to serve at the Center Center for Pregnancy because there's so much opportunity there just to help people and to serve people. That's what happens when you live a life on mission. That's what happens when you live a life of ministry, that serving at this pregnancy center is not something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. So I'm going to wrap, here, wrap up here telling you kind of a little bit about my story and when my switch flips from, from a life of ministry, from seeing as Jesus sees to do as Jesus does. Excuse me. Let me tell you when, when my switch flipped. Um, so in high school, I was really involved in, in worship ministry. Right? I was really like in the band, and almost every single day I was doing quote unquote church work. I was at Mondays was uh, some uh, was rehearsal for one service, Tuesdays was rehearsal for a different service that I was playing at, Wednesdays was youth service, Thursdays was like the Spanish service, Fridays was my only off day, Saturdays was Saturday night service, Sunday there was like three services that I was playing at. My schedule was very, very consumed with church activity, and I was busy, busy, busy. And then the reality is I really had no desire for ministry. I had no desire to see, to help lost people find the shepherd. I thought it was just my job to perform and play. And in this corporate gathering, maybe, you know, then I did my part and then I could go home and play Xbox and do school and play, be competitive and get good grades and whatever. So that's what I thought. So because of that, I am, I am actively serving in church. I am at church almost every day of the week, and my heart is so hard. My entire senior year of high school, where I'm at church five, six days a week, I don't remember once actively reading my Bible. I don't remember once actively praying. I don't remember once actively sharing my faith with someone. Why? Because I viewed my faith as something that I had to do, right? And playing is fun, right? Anybody can get up. It's, it's fun. You feel like you're a rock star, right? Getting up here, it's like, cool. Like, people are here to watch me play. This is amazing. That's how I felt, right? And that was my goal. I wanted to be part of a Christian traveling worship band. Like, that's what I wanted to do, right? So I was playing a lot, maybe to, to make the right connections, meet the right people. Had no desire to actually do ministry, 
So I go to college, and it's a lot of the same thing. My freshman year, I'm, tr- I'm in a new city. I'm in Waco now, and I'm trying to find a church. I'm trying to find somewhere to play. I'm viewing my, um, I'm trying to I choose my church based on where I can play, right? That's how I'm making my decision, and it's frustrating because it's not working. So then what had happened, I think you saw the photo of my freshman life group, is even in, in all of this, I'm still part, so I end up, um, even though I was frustrated that I couldn't find anywhere to play, I start um, being part of this life group there at a Highland Baptist Church there in Waco. And it was great. I made some of my best friends. And I ended up switching my major, because um, I started out as business, I ended up switching my major to film. And um, as a film major, I remember, so I'm at the end of my freshman year, and I remember somebody asked me, um, hey, so I'm, I'm sorry, I asked this person who was a couple years older than me, this guy named Jared, I was like, hey, Jared, hey, what are you going to do with your film degree? And his response, oh, I'm definitely going to use it for ministry. And I remember as a freshman in college, as just a churchgoer, I remember thinking, that's so lame. I would never do that. Because my thought, I wanted to use my film degree to move out to New York. I loved growing up. I loved David Letterman. I loved the late night talk shows. So I would go and I would, um, that's the producer role. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be kind of the guy in charge behind the scenes. So what happened is that summer, although for two years now, my entire senior year of high school, my entire freshman year of college, where I had no desire to actively, I viewed my faith as something that I had to do, not something that I got to do, so I just wasn't doing it. And then I felt guilt because I wasn't doing it, and I felt condemned because I wasn't doing it. It was a perfect storm for condemnation. What happened is God changed my life, and God woke me up that summer was a spiritual reawakening for me where God got my attention to wake me up and to show me what he wanted to do with my life, right? God got my attention. He used different people. He used different communicators. He used my, my big head kind of research brain to draw me back to him. So what happened was then um, I applied and I started leading a life group my sophomore years, right? So I started leading a life group. And then I realized whereas. A year later, after leading a life group, something happened within me. Whereas a year before, at the end of my freshman year, I said, I would never work in ministry. A year later, I thought, you know what? I think I want to work in ministry. That sounds really fun, right? Because what happened? I loved shepherding people, leading that life group. It was amazing. I, man, this is really fun. God had reawakened me. He, he flipped that switch for me. He opened up my eyes to see I actually really, really enjoy helping people follow Jesus. This is amazing. I love praying with people. I love meeting with people. This is incredible, right? But what happened for that to happen? One is I caught, I had to get my soil ready, Right? So God was getting my soul ready. My heart was so hard. So that, that summer, after my freshman year, God softened up my very hard heart. God took out a lot of the weeds that I was working through. God got my soul ready. And then what happened that year, that fall of my sophomore year, God starts growing me and at first growing through my mind and then growing through my heart and then growing through my hands. And then what happened, part of the reason that the idea even came, because there was a position to be on the college ministry staff to be the small group coordinator. And I applied to be the small group coordinator, right? But I didn't get it. My best friend got it. You know, I, I, I was a little fresher, and I thought that I was, I was one of the final two candidates. He was a really good candidate, too, so I was trying to be happy for him. But also I noticed, like, a little bit of, man, I really thought that I, I could do that well. What happened? I got pruned. I got pruned. Here's the thing that I thought was good, and God pruned it. And what happened is the staff really liked me, so they opened up a position to be part of the staff to be the, the, um, 
the communication specialist. So because I had a film degree, that role fit me so well, and I got to enter into this ministry role for the first time doing something that I had competency in and doing media. This is what happens. This is what God does. God takes us through seasons of preparation. God takes us through seasons of growth. God takes us through seasons of pruning. And then God opens up our eyes throughout this process for harvest. And in harvest season, we don't see people as annoying. We don't see people as frustrating. We don't see people uh, that gives us fear and anxiety. We see people as lost sheep that need compassion and for us to help them to the great shepherd. That's what harvest is right? So imagine what your life could look like if you were in a season of harvest. What would it look like? What would it look like if even, and I know you're already a little ahead of the game because you're here at the table. The table is very unique because very few people feel like they have to be here. It's a Tuesday night. This is a random night of the week. Very few people, I mean, it's table Tuesday. It's the best day of the week. But very few people feel like they have to, get, have to be here. So already you're taking steps in a great direction just by being here at the table. See, but for a lot of us, it's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. So what would your life look like if doing, being in harvest season, if being in ministry was something that you got to do and the switch was flipped with every area of your life instead of being something that you have to do to something that you get to do? So here's how we're going to respond. We're going to have the band come up here. This is how we're going to respond. This may be a little weird. and We, haven't, we don't really do this very often. Um, we're going to do exactly what Jesus says. Can we do that? Can we do exactly what Jesus says? Are y'all cool with that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for God to send up laborers into his harvest. So if you can, um, it's going to be a little weird. and Just tell your neighbor, hey, be cool. Can you just tell each other, be cool, be cool? So what's, what's going to happen is we're all going to stand up. Don't put your arm around somebody, but stand up. <laughs> stand up and find about four or five people to gather with. Make new friends. It's going to be awkward. If somebody says, hey, can I join your prayer circle? You say yes. Find, find four or five people.